to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaefer. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Well, so we had the first snow of the season last night, and my patio is now covered in white stuff. <laughs> you have snow. Yes. Yes. Uh, Go away we, for a couple of weeks and look what happens. But in Chicago, at least they can probably drive still. Whereas here oh, we yes. have we have frost on the road, and my commute is now fifteen minutes longer than it should be. Oh no! It, I mean, mayors get kicked out of office if they can't keep the roads clear. So <laughs> we know how to handle it here. Yeah. And in other winter-related news, the Blackhawks go on a losing streak and fire the coach. Ah, oh, can't believe it. Did they really? They really did. Well, yes. I'm a week behind on an HL. <sighs> Anyways. Well, it can't so get how worse is, from how's firing your life? the coach. Apparently, you're not freezing and complaining about hockey. No. I. Um, well, it has got a lot colder here. It was below zero yesterday, and this morning I had to scrape ice off my car. So um, <laughs> it, it's winter is officially not coming. It's here. So for those um, of us who live in the United States, when he says zero, what he means is 32. Yes, it's true. <laughs> there are some things I won't give up. And one of them is when you hit zero and you get into the minus figures, that's when it's cold. <laughs> yes. Um, and then now I have the usual thing of speaking to my family every weekend on Skype and they're in board shorts or usually shirtless at a beach when I'm calling them and there's me kind of underneath a rug uh, on my couch trying to talk to them and that never gets old of having to deal with the fact that they have summer when we have winter and they brag about it and then when we have summer here and they're semi-cold in Australia I get to brag about it in return but it's not as good a brag as their whole well, summers yeah. summer in Seattle is not quite summer right. yeah anyways but um so we we skipped last week um Primarily because the speaker we had, I had to punt because I got really busy, and you were busy too. So, what have you been? What have you been up to? What have you been reading about? I figured we could kind of do a bit of a catch up and talk about some of the stuff you've been doing on the community side of the house. Well, certainly. So let's uh, start with uh, things from the internet first. Uh, one uh, item that I found that I am very appreciative is that the Azure portal now has the ability to switch between accounts. So a while ago, they improved the ability to switch across subscriptions, but now it actually has uh, the ability to switch the or have multiple login accounts. So you click on your picture in the upper right and switch to a different account that you've logged in with. Helps a lot between switching back and forth. No more in private slash incognito browser sessions, although we still have many of them because not everyone's there yet, but it's a wonderful enhancement to the Azure portal. Is this a real thing you have pain with? Yes. Typically because I get, get up, I end up with, well, so there's the Hotmail account, which has been around forever, that has some things, and then my Office 365 account. And now, of course, I, I got a, a new job recently, so now I have subscriptions under that account as well. And so, yeah, you'll have to share that so I can start spending Wes's money on, on his um, behalf. Yeah. So, so that's that's typically where it works, right? And, and so um, inevitably, I would log in, or, or what would happen is that, I'd, for example, I, I would log, say I'm in, logged into Office 365, and then, oh, I need to do something in Azure, and I click the Azure portal. Well, 
what's wrong? Say, oh, you're already logged in. It's boom, there it is. Now I can't find the resources because it's something I set up under my MVP subscription, which is a Hotmail account. It's like, oh, darn. Now I got to yeah. go switch over. So, yeah, it, it's quite frustrating if you do any work with for consultants or, or yeah, just stuff on the side. people with multiple customers and different things. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, I have my corporate Microsoft account that has some things on it, and then I have my personal account. I'm not quite as old as you, so mine's an Outlook.com account, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which was Hotmail, I will admit. Uh, But yeah, I I must admit, I'm so much in this muscle of using different profiles in Chrome that um, I I actually kind of like the separation of not having my Azure AD show a bunch of different options for me signing in. I think it's because I can throw those profiles away when my demo tenants expire. Obviously, I'm doing that every three months anyway. But um, yeah, Twitter went crazy for it. They were really super excited about that. So um, good on Azure for having a win on the portal side of the house. Yeah. So I also have Chrome profiles, but sometimes I'm not in Chrome. Yeah, it's true. And um, there's just so many doggone windows. I went on a purge a while back. I, I collapsed monitors into a big single 34-inch monitor. So I have less physical windows, and I find I'm more focused with less virtual windows as well. So Yeah, I must admit, I we had some issues at work with um, Windows 10, and for whatever reason, it wouldn't exp- extend my desktop. And I was working on a single Dell 1080p monitor, uh, whereas at home I have two dual 4Ks. And I must admit, I didn't feel too unproductive apart from being on one screen when I'm coding in a workspace and found myself alt-tabbing a lot more than when I had 4K screens, even a single 4K screen of just just screen real estate, let alone having one rather than two views of that. But um, Yina is about to go on maternity leave, um, which means our team is going to be really even more more busy than we are already. And um, she has a Surface Hub. Hub, is it? Surface Studio? Surface Studio sitting uh, under her desk, which is going to become on my desk while she's out. So I'm interested to see how I I go with that screen because that's a really nice 4K screen on that. Oh, yeah. That would be great. Which so that means we can see we can see an increase in your graphical talent then since you're having a fancy Surface Studio. That's right. I'll be doodling during meetings for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then on another note with the Azure portal, um, we, we did mention this at Ignite in our session and um, there was another identity session that mentioned this. But as of yesterday, Thursday the 8th, I think it was, um, the Azure portal now has a application registration preview blade, uh, which you can get to, aka.ms, I forget, I'll have the links in the show notes. Um, it's changed too often, um, but it will actually just show up without even going to the AKS link. You'll actually have an app registration blade and an app registration preview blade. And what this now allows you to do is see V1 and V2 apps in one view. And it's significantly streamlined creating an application, whether you're going to create a V1 or a V2. 
And uh, I think the um, the most celebrated aspect of this was that now when you add permissions directly to your application, you have the ability to search. So if I wanted to not scroll through 300 permission scopes that are available on the graph, um, I could type in the word calendar and it would show me all of the scopes with the name calendar in it, uh, which is an awesome addition to uh that as a, as a developer. And they've also streamlined a bunch of the admin consent buttons so that you don't have to remember those horrible URLs. You can just go to the portal and click the button and it works it all out for you. So um, if you haven't tried that already, that will GA early next calendar year and will replace the app registration portal. So the apps.manage.com dev.microsoft.com or whatever that horrible <laughs> named URL is that is available in the top nav of any graph page you're on, uh, we will actually uh, eventually deprecate that and move over into the new preview portal. That has been a long time coming. I'm glad to see the improvements there. One thing that always struck me as odd in the original one is if I had needed admin consent, there was a red stop icon. It's like, well, wait a minute. You can't do that, it seems. Yeah. So that they've gotten much better there. And I've been poking around in that. I haven't created any new apps recently, but uh, finding stuff is I find a lot faster in there, finding apps and, and uh, especially that, that the old the old one would show you my apps would be – like if you create an app and you go look for it, it wouldn't show it to you. You had to click for – it's like you're not the owner of an app that you just created. You'd have to click the all apps button. It was really kind of strange, quirky behavior that they fixed. So really excited to see that. Yeah, and a little bit of how the sausage is made internally. You know, that ARP portal, ARP as it's called internally um, – you know, it, it's nice because it's streamlined, but it doesn't have all the settings. So eventually the feedback we heard was, is like, it's great to go create one there, but often you have to go into the Azure portal to see them. And obviously you can't, you couldn't see V2 apps in there. And so that work's been done. Um, and it was a bit of a band-aid in terms of, uh, you know, because the experience is bad in the portal, this was built and it was built by not the identity team. It was built by another team. So kind of, Putting the ownership back in identity is the right place to put it because they own the app registration, they own the applications and the consent and the permission scopes. And so it's a good thing that, you know, that's back in its rightful place. So, um, yeah, it's just another area of kind of shipping org charts and trying to get things done and not wait for other teams. And now kind of that team's caught up and we'll be able to kind of push that as the right way to go. Um, and then there's additional things that we'll be doing too. The quick starts that are available on the graph website right now. Um, we're actually going to build those quick start experiences directly into the portal. So when you go create a, an app registration, you'll be able to download a graph quick start for whatever platform you choose straight from there, which is a nice kind of improvement over what you do right now from the graph.microsoft.com website. So so we're getting there with the experience and um, there's a bunch of teams involved in this. So it's just, it, it, it may look like a small thing, but there's been a lot of different people involved in this to get to where it's at. Um, and and uh, I think yeah, one, of the under, one of the underappreciated aspects is the Azure portal itself from, from when those blades first launched, they were all, they all look the same. Mm -hmm. And if you've noticed, I've noticed over time that each, each service can, 
inject their own customization or their own style and look and feel and capabilities in those blades as well. So I think it's a it's a maturation on all parts uh, of the service. So that's great to see. Yeah, I think there was an initial thing of thou must all look the same. And now they've realized over time that, hey, Azure Functions needs these kind of quirks that um, they wouldn't have been able to do in the design UX principles that were originally set out for the portal. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's good to see that move as well. All right. So moving on to the, the, some community stuff, I, uh, I I found an interesting article from Victor Will, and Victor was a guest on the show talking about the uh, modern workplace, and he has a blog post that covers using the uh, web hooks in Microsoft Teams connected with Microsoft Flow to let the the gist, of course, being that you can um, use. Uh, 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 in Teams, at message uh, 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 a bot, which is really just a webhook, to actually invoke a flow to do things. So his example is creating a to-do list item, but it's an interesting uh, approach. It's a pretty lightweight connection to say, hey, I've got all these services and, and I'm bringing Teams into this flow ecosystem, if you will. A little bit of code in there that you have to write, but if you're a developer, it's not so so difficult. But I just found it super interesting that people are starting to, to connect teams into these other systems and of course once you're in flow you can do whatever you want right yeah i know like john lou has been doing a bunch of stuff around that and pete uh skelly as well and uh they've actually reached out and they're building a like a hands-on lab for us at the moment um in their free time which is awesome um specifically around flow and graph and using the custom connectors and you know it's something we demoed at ignite um which we took on what John had put together. But I've also noticed that, you know, obviously AppBot, um, that, that group, Joe and um, uh, Matt as well, have been kind of building out these things that bolt into Flow. And it's just amazing to see the use cases that people are doing with it from a power user perspective. So, yeah, I mean, I'm intrigued. I haven't actually read that post yet, but um, I had spoken to Victor about it when he was up on town before. So, um, yeah, like if you're not comfortable with Flow yet and you haven't understood it as a developer, I think it's yet another one of those things where don't treat that as a an info path or a SharePoint designer and kind of embrace it because more and more of the business is kind of going that way with different bits and pieces as well. I always advocate if I'm going to have a power user do exactly what they want without involving me changing my code 17 times, more power to them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's a good way to think about it for sure. Not that yeah. I'm saying the info path development wasn't the hardest thing in the world and the most frustrating thing in the world, but hey, it paid the bills back back in the day. Um, and then talking about contributions, um, Brian Jacket has been a friend and um He's a colleague now, obviously, working at Microsoft as well, and has been in the SharePoint community for a long time. And he reached out to me uh, not so short after I came back and had this idea of starting this, like, 30 days of Microsoft Graph blog series. And what he's done is he's kind of put out an outline of here's what I think we should do for the 30 days. And then um, he kind of volunteered to write a bunch of the posts himself and um, – We then kind of reached out to various PMs to pick up the individual kind of blog days that covered SharePoint and covered teams like Jeremy Kelly and Nick Kramer. Um, But then kind of Bob Germain and uh, Shrivanas have also kind of, uh, who's a, he's another senior premier field engineer like Brian. And that they're actually volunteering to write these posts. And what's nice about it is, is that 
it's kind of written in a style that is kind of a more of a conversation than reading docs that can sometimes be a little bit dry. And, you know, they, they have some really great insight and some nice kind of diagrams and so forth to help you to really understand the graph in, in simple kind of layman terms. Um, so they've done a great job at this. So if you're new to the graph or you've got somebody who's new to the graph, I, I'm personally going to be sending people to to this series. And so there's a day zero post that came out the day before the November 1st and then day one started on November 1st. So we're kind of like nine days in already and, you know, they're covering... Azure AD, Azure AD applications registered on the uh, the V2 endpoint using the the preview portal, and then you know Saturday and Sunday is going to be about permissions and um, applications on the V1 endpoint and, and different things like that, and just kind of explaining all the differences. So um, a big thank you for everyone that's involved in that process. Um, what's interesting, again, just kind of how the sausage is made, we've actually been using a Microsoft Teams team. There must be an easier way of saying that. Um, and you know external people are in there so like Gavin Brown who's a local to Seattle uh, Kiwi that uh, I've known for a long time he's contributing as well Um, he's in there in that team and we're asking questions and we've looked in the PMs and invited the PMs in and then we've got a OneNote in there we've got the 30 day plan and assigning those things out and then we've got Word documents for every post where people can go add review comments and the new feature with the app mentioning people in the comments is just gold. I don't have to go check every one of those 30 com- thirty documents to see whether Brian's asked a question. He just app mentions me in the review comment and I'll get an email notification. And then when I launch that notification, it jumps straight into the word comment in that particular document. So that workflow is, you know, it's really collab- collaboration on the go. And, um, you know, I can do that on my phone or I can do it on my laptop or desktop machine. So I've been really impressed with that from a, a developer perspective of how everyone's just embraced it and gone with it on that side of things. The at mentioning in Word is going to be a game changer. I can certainly see that um, for people, for any any team actually working on a document like it's designed. So that's yeah. I'm glad to hear that that's working well. Yeah, no, it's super useful. So the um, I want to switch a little bit now to uh, away from the community contributions, but this is uh, kind of a noteworthy item in the SharePoint space, the SharePoint Framework version 1.7 released. And the reason I'm really excited is that it now enables the the sharing between Microsoft Teams and SharePoint for code that you've written. Uh, we'll post a link to the, 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 the announcement, and there's also some PNP calls where they've demoed this. But the short answer is if I created a SharePoint Framework package, I can add it to Teams. And if I have a Microsoft Teams app, I can add it to my SharePoint app catalog and the two play nice to each other. It's still a beta developer preview feature in SharePoint, but um, uh, it's pretty slick. This, again, if you've written any code or you have an application and the reason you would write a SharePoint web part is because you want to expose some functionality. Now, all of a sudden, I can expose it in Teams where my users might be as well. So big, big release. And there's some other goodies in there that you can read about that are SharePointy things, but uh, the Teams integration is the part I'm really jacked about. So it's good to see that finally out the door. Yeah, it's been interesting. I um, We had some Stack Overflow posts we've been monitoring where people are being frustrated with using the SharePoint APIs that are on the graph, specifically around the, hey, you know, how do we get the site ID to be able to do the kind of the graph chaining of site 
site slash the site ID slash drive slash <coughs> and then any team sites underneath that. And um, it turns out like Yina kind of turned around and she's like, well, that's not the only way you can do this. There's You can use the relative URLs with um, semicolons um, either sides of it and that will actually do the same lookup. And so that was an example where we kind of worked that out and realized that in the documentation we didn't do a great job of promoting that way of using SharePoint on the graph and uh, you know pull requests went in and docs went live and now that's all there so um, if you haven't tried SharePoint on the graph and are doing things in SPFX I would highly recommend doing that as your first muscle and I know like I was speaking to Mark Rackley yesterday who's another MVP in the SharePoint community that is very JavaScript heavy um, he's actually about to start doing some blogging around this and some videos as well explaining uh, what he's doing there and um, yeah, it, it's certainly something that it is a good gateway drug as a SharePoint developer that if you learn how to use a graph with SharePoint because you know and love it dearly, you can then kind of expand out to things like using mail calendar contacts and all the team stuff directly from inside of SPFX using the new Microsoft Graph client that's available that came out in I think 1.6 release. Yeah, and AD client I've used a, a bit. That's also uh, great stuff. You know, and tying it back to our talk on the app registration between the bot framework and the and the AD client stuff in SharePoint, it's gotten much much easier to get a token from Azure AD to read various services, even even your own internal your own custom web services. So certainly is a great uh, great momentum building. I, I will go on a little bit of a rant on dog food, though, and I think this is something that uh, it was funny. I won't name names, but someone today in our neighbourhood, we have these new like open plan areas. We've got moving away from individual offices to open plan areas, which I actually kind of prefer because otherwise people tend to lock themselves in their office and you never see them, and you can't have those, you know, like little camaraderie things like we had this morning where people were like. Oh my God, Outlook won't close. It's hung. Task manager won't allow me to kill the process. Command line kill process wasn't working. So the only way to get your computer back was to fully restart your machine. Um, I've had a similar thing recently where copy and paste just didn't work. And obviously I spent a lot of time sending emails and referencing user voice posts and um, documentation and stack overflow things trying to get people to help me and when copy and paste doesn't work from the address bar into email or teams it becomes very very frustrating <laughs> and I, I, I maybe it reminded me of when I left Microsoft and went to Hyperfish and obviously not being on any dog food at all like I strictly stayed on the slowest version of Windows ring I could uh, I don't think I was even on the in, in Windows inside a program at all on my computers when I was at Hyperfish and, and same with Office and it was incredible how much more productive I was because of that <laughs> um, and I know like it is it's not mandatory um, across all of Microsoft but for engineering teams you, you essentially have to pick a ring to be on for both Office and Windows and you know, with all the reorganizations now, we're in the E&D org uh, underneath Rajesh, who actually owns Office and Windows. I'm kind of stuck in this quagmire of having to be on dog food of both. And um, yeah, it's been interesting this week. It's been a really bad week for early builds. And, you know, they're very early. They're not like Windows inside early. They're earlier than that. And um, it can really hold up your um, productivity. Uh 
but I, there's absolute value in it, and you can thank us for catching the bugs that we don't push up <laughs> into the other rings. But, um, well, there's two yeah. ways to look at that. Number one is that if there ever is going to be someone who can fill out a bug report that that actually is helpful, it's going to be someone in an engineering organization. You would so hope that's, so. that's great. Yeah, that, <laughs> but but that does explain why sometimes emails never come out of Redmond, right? Because <laughs> Outlook is frozen; you can't kill it. Oh, the amount of uh, meeting rooms we walk into, and you know, you just think it's a simple push the button to join the meeting and 10 minutes later you're still hearing echoes on the call and desktop sharing isn't working and the big surface hub isn't showing anything yeah it uh, can get very frustrating but i figured i needed to air my grievances on the podcast just to let you all know that uh, it is it i mean it's a valuable thing to do but it can be really frustrating sometimes yeah, I can I can imagine. So uh, as the week we're recording this on the ninth, you had a, a community call on on Microsoft Graph. Um, do you want to give us a quick recap on that? Yeah, it's been great. We've been yeah we've been growing that. We we've we're currently pondering whether we need to go from once a month to twice a month because we have enough PMs and enough external people that want to demonstrate things they've been working on around the graph. Um, this week we had uh, Abram Jackson, who is the principal PM responsible for Microsoft Graph Data Connect, which is kind of the way we're encouraging people to access data at scale, uh, not in real time, like you would on the graph APIs directly, to build kind of dashboards and analytical stuff and do machine learning over kind of data sets that are broader than one individual user. And uh, he did a great demo there showing kind of setting that up inside of the Azure portal with data factory and data bricks and machine learning scripts to then work out the best connections based on calling through all messages across the entire organization, but only the to, from, and send date without needing the contents of the body and so forth. So there's a bunch of really cool scenarios around Data Connect. Um, and then uh, Paul Coyote, I apologize, Paul, if I've pronounced that wrong, uh, did a a 50-minute segment showing how he set up running PowerShell against Microsoft Graph with the, the access tokens fetched from Azure AD and so forth. And it was a really big ask for us from Ignite. And so we kind of reached out and um, Daryl actually, Daryl Miller, who owns the SDKs of Microsoft Graph, talks a lot about um, what our direction will be with providing some form of SDK or command library for PowerShell for Microsoft Graph as well. Um, so that was really cool just to kind of have those things going on too. So yeah, like if, you, if you're out there and you've got stuff you've written for the graph and you want to share it, um, please reach out uh, to me on Twitter or email, just jthake, um, and um, we can get that going. But I believe you've been doing some community stuff and that's why you weren't available yeah, for so our podcast last week. I was a little bit sad faced. I didn't see one tweet of someone going, where's the show? We don't have a show this week. I haven't seen any tweets actually. Uh, <laughs> it's been a bit crazy. But yeah, so a couple weeks ago, I did a SharePoint Saturday in Boston. Uh, the My topic there was a non-developer one. Um, I titled it Gather Your Groups, talking about group governance stuff and building on some content that was at Ignite a year ago from Martina Gram and, and the product team. And a, a, a pretty full room, I was quite surprised. So governance around 
unified groups or Office 365 groups is still an issue, still misunderstood. And and so that was, uh, I, I did a little, of course, I'm a developer, so I did a little PowerShell-y things to, to show people. But so that was a, a nice session. And then a week ago, I did the Office Developer Boot Camp in Austin, Texas, which had no water. They had so much rain that they had no water. And so um, that I did a half day workshop on Microsoft Teams development there, and oh, yeah, cool. the the, um, the plan was to do the two introductory type modules from our training content repo, but between questions and and people who are interested but don't know what's going on, I ended up doing most of the day on on module one, <laughs> just you know introductory stuff. But that, that's good value though, right? Like people can do those labs whenever they want, but having someone there that knows that uh, that depth and can answer questions, I think it's a much better benefit of being in person at these things. I, I agree, and I always try to encourage attendees to you know raise your hand and speak up. And, and there's for everyone who wants to ask a question, there's top, probably three that are too afraid to ask a question. So yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was true. it was terrific. And then the the afternoon was session was on the SharePoint development. I, I had to fly home, so I missed the afternoon session that Travis was doing. But but yeah, there was oh, a, yeah. Um, over a hundred registrations, and and I think I, about a half or two thirds of those people were, showed up in the room. So it was it was great to get the, awesome. to get the, that going. So yeah, it was a uh, that was good, and I, and I do know a lot. A bunch of people have reached out to me about the team's development stuff for those boot camps. I know they're doing one in Toronto. They did one in Atlanta. Uh, again, those are taking off. We talked about them a while ago about the the launch of those. And if, yeah, and so uh, dev.office.com, and then in the top menu, learn, and then there's a, a menu option for events, and all of the boot camps are listed there. Uh, they're totally free. Um, and they're all over the place. I've been asked to come to a bunch of them, and unfortunately, uh, well, fortunately, I'm, I've made the decision to stay at home with Scarlett, uh, my daughter, um, rather than travel so much this year and just kind of pick up the bigger events. And um, But, yeah, it's great to see that many things popping up all over the place. <laughs> what was a big learning? What was a question that stumped you? Uh, I don't remember a question that stumped me so much. Like I said, this is, oh, well, of course. Well, I'm sure if I asked the it, audience it, there, they'd be like, "Yeah, Paul was really lousy." You know, I, well, one. in Boston, there certainly were a few because I don't do IT pro-y governance typey things. <laughs> yeah, so lots of questions yeah, there regarding the compliance center and and so on. So that that those were yeah. all great questions, but I was like, hey, "Sorry, I'm I'm not the guy." <laughs> yeah, not not the speed. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, and one thing I I, I will say. The, there were a couple of other fellow speakers in the room. I, I had done the morning session, and and I, so the answer was in the room. You didn't get it from the speaker, but you got an answer. Which I, again, it's yeah, that's, that's awesome. one of those one of those things. Um, a SharePoint Saturday, while it's giving up a day of your weekend, if you can find one nearby, almost every time I've been to one, everyone is willing to help. And, and the conversations that happen in the lunchroom or, or out in the hallway, just total random questions because someone might know something. It, the, the value there is tremendous. So, Yeah. They just had one here in Seattle two weekends ago, and I did a session on the graph and teams. Um, and there was people from Microsoft sitting at desks with attendees helping them. Wow. Like uh, Mark Cashman was sitting down helping a lady with her SharePoint site. Um, there was a bunch of guys sitting around a screen debugging code with breakpoints. 
And uh, I think it's a great, great thing, you know, I, and I, I get as much out of it helping people as I'm sure the people being helped do um, for lots of different reasons. And um, so, yeah, that was really good fun. And again, it's kind of shame I can't get to more of these at the moment, but I am trying to spend as much time as I can before Scarlet gets too old because I keep getting told by everybody, go so fast, go so fast. Well, yeah, one day, one day you're complaining that your teenager is not listening to you and then you have a grandchild. So, <laughs> it, it, you know, it happens, it does happen quickly. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to talk about a bit more was um, you know like uh, I I guess I've been back now for a few months at Microsoft and there's been a bunch of initiatives that we've had been left on a table that now with me being in role has allowed us to pick up and um, the the big one that you know has has left dormant I guess essentially is the user voice so uh, I started kind of to look under the covers a little bit and there's essentially there was 400 user voice requests specific to the graph and my take is is that there probably would have been more requests if people would have seen that the ones that were being looked like posted were being responded to and I've already started seeing that as we've started responding and changing statuses of user voice feature requests um there are devs now chiming in and adding new ones in the last few days which is good because we need that we need that information to understand whether the things we think we should be doing um, is what the community thinks we should be doing as well. Um, what's been rewarding, I guess, is that regardless of whether the PM had actually gone and seen that there was a user voice asking for that feature, we we have closed off probably about, I'd say, at least 40 that are completed and in product based on things that uh, have been requested on the user voice. Um, there's still a bunch of triaging I have to do. I'm only about 50% through that near 500. Um, but the intent moving forward now, the, kind of the good news here is is that um, we were in a weird spot. We were using user voice and it was one person was the gatekeeper and triaging all the requests. And that meant that what I'm doing right now is reaching out to Nick Kramer and going, hey, look, there's 15 Microsoft Teams requests on the graph. Can you let me know whether you intend to do those things? Are they already on your backlog? Have you already started the work? Uh, is it in preview? Have we shipped it already? Or maybe actually we've decided we're going to decline those requests and these are the reasons why or something different. And so doing that with the 14 or 15 plus workloads in the graph is time consuming. And so in January, we're actually going to be moving to each of the PMs will be responsible for logging in and responding themselves rather than it going through a single point of failure, i.e. me. Um, and so if someone adds a comment to an existing feature request, they'll be notified straight away as a PM. Now, I'm, I'm assuming as people listening, they probably assumed all that was happening already. They probably thought that feature PMs would be notified when those things come through. And unfortunately, it just wasn't how things were set up in user voice. So um, we're clearing, cleaning up shop. We're making sure that everything's up to date and everything has a status on it, whether it's, you know, this is great, but it's in the backlog, i.e. there's not enough votes here or we've got bigger priorities or, you know, started or it's in preview or it's in product. And and then the intent hopefully is, is moving towards build which is usually where we announce the larger features. I'm getting commitment from each of those PM lead workflows to workloads to commit to at least two of those features to ship at build. So with that in mind, we should see 
28 new features from user voice that have been requested um, that kind of get shown at build. I'm optimistic at the moment because I haven't heard any no's. But um, what I am telling them is they can't gamify this. So if they already have something in their sprint planning, because obviously I have visibility somewhat to those things, um, I don't want them just picking one that's already they intended to do or have started already. So they have to actually genuinely pick some that are, um, you know, weren't already on their radar and it's something new that they weren't aware of so it's going to be a fun little exercise to go through with these guys uh, guys and girls to you know get them to really plug in and listen and go ask more questions based on the feature requests that are there and have dialogue with these uh, partners that are building software or enterprise devs that are looking for things that are missing mean they can't build these solutions for their internal teams as well that's great to hear and and I would say that that user voice model is very difficult to to get your head around. Uh, so I, I mm-hmm. that total appreciation for for the effort that you've been putting in and and what you, they've all signed up for. Um, just as an example, I remember someone referenced a user voice item and and I I clicked on the link and I saw the in the comments how. Well, it was a duplicate of a different one, and I click on the other one, and that one's a duplicate of another one. I think I was like seven levels deep because mm-hmm. many people show up at user voice and just create a new one, and off we go. So there's a lot of – there's certainly an opportunity for some machine learning in there, I would imagine, for someone who's smarter yeah, than me. Well, the, yeah, they have a feature, and I think I've merged at least 30 different requests yeah. where people, you know, not maybe too lazy, but they just want to plug it in and forget about it and let us do it on our side. Um, but you can merge it and basically it combines the votes and it merges all the comments too. So you see it in one view. And so I've been doing a bunch of that, which is great. Um, but what's really, I guess, a little bit frustrating is is in some cases the vote didn't add up to the combination of the two things that were merged. And the reason is is because people have voted on both. So Yeah. <laughs> Well, Chicago-based counting, that would work, but... uh. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so that's definitely an ask, is like, please try and do due diligence to see that it doesn't exist already by doing a bit of searching in there before you go create one. Well, well, but if I I start typing in something I have an idea about and I get a list of five different titles, well, none of those titles are what I want. And Do I have time to click on five different things and see if it is? So I'm not not criticizing. And sometimes there's like a... A holistic thing of like contextual consent, right? Which is the one we talk about as no longer requiring an admin consent to group read write all to do write to a plan just in one team site. I'll be able to request consent to write to a plan for a particular team or a particular group. Um, now that feature request has come in, but then there's also been a feature request to write to the files of a team, and they're two separate feature requests, but ultimately they are one feature from a from internally in engineering. So we have to do a little bit of that of do we merge those two or do we keep those separate because it's different audiences and just get an idea about where contextual consent matters the most. Is it in files and teams or is it in planner in teams? And and so yeah, like we, we struggle with uh, shipping the org chart which PM should own this and yeah. uh, the product view of the request because the graph is you know getting bigger and bigger right now. So, user voice is that a Microsoft property? No, it's not. It's a, a third-party service. Um, Microsoft happened to use it 
across a lot of products and services. Um, uh, we're, we're one, Teams is one, um, Office add-ins is one. But um, you know, even broader than that, there's some Azure teams that use it. And I believe there's certain other areas of the company that use it as well. So, so I, I, uh, I'll have to find the user voice, user voice, because I'm in a group of people where the one person has taken upon themselves to find what he thinks are interesting user voice items, and he posts them into the team's conversation. And I had a great idea to use a bot to manage that and have it post something periodically. And then if I like the message in Microsoft Teams up behind the scenes, I'll go vote for it. And there's no API for casting votes in user voice. Which yeah, maybe is a reason, yeah. a purpose, but uh, there's certainly yeah they a, they a have gap some there. rudimentary um, integration with Visual Studio too, which I looked into, but unfortunately, like if I create a user voice, it won't go and automatically add it to VSTS for me or Azure DevOps, um, <clears throat> and likewise, if I change the status in Azure DevOps, it don't go and change the status yeah, in yeah, so. user voice. So it's it's not quite where we need to be, and you know I'd love to have been able to do that because then our PMs could stay living in the thing they live in every day. Well, that's just it, right? Yeah, sprints. like Wictor's two in Teams thing. So I'm in Teams and I want to do send something outside. Again, where the user context is is to the user, it's the most important thing. So there's an opportunity. Yeah. So maybe that's why these APIs are so important. Exactly. And that's why I'm in the Microsoft craft team at Microsoft because I think you know ultimately these user experiences are driven by the fact that I can have an API that can do it rather yeah. than having to send a user to a. A specific UI. So we need to find out who who writes to check the user voice for Microsoft and have them submit a user voice to say fix this. So, <laughs> <laughs> or, or we're yeah, that's right. Or we're moving to somewhere else. We did actually evaluate uh, a bunch, and uh, user voice came out on top for people yeah. that may be looking yeah. into that. Um, well, yeah, I have no I doubt. Know Azure functions yeah. use GitHub and .NET Core use GitHub, but there's not necessarily voting construct there. You can kind of thumbs up an issue and yeah just gives some indication of voting but it's not true voting yeah I, I like user voice as a consumer of products I want to get my voice out there it's certainly right there's just a couple things that the, the, the developer me which is yeah. I could hack around with but Although anyways stop stop gamifying um Signing in as Google, Facebook, and Twitter, and voting three times because so, anyone who knows me knows that there's no way in the world I'm signing into Facebook and Twitter in the same month, let alone gaming right. the system. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so that, there's a few people doing that, which we can actually see, and we do account for that in the background when we share our, yeah. our votes too. But yeah, it's been an interesting learning curve, you know, across such a broad platform with so many different, you know, a lot of these PMs that are involved in the graph. You know they are the uh, the products arm to extensibility story, but they often have a lot of other kind of angles or influences other than just the third party approach as well. So a lot of these PMs are designing graph APIs for internal consumption here, what we call first party products inside Microsoft, as well as taking into consideration three P third party external developers as well. And um, and so making sure these PMs, whether they're like kind of senior PMs or principal PMs, kind of get that and understand that hey, look, you know, having something with five hundred votes is something we really have to do, and ignore everything else is um, it can be challenging. And uh, I, I guess I kind of in sickly enjoy the. Uh, the need to kind of go and coerce and convince people this is the right thing to do. 
Well, on behalf of all the voters, thank you. Yeah, no, keep voting because it really helps. And if there's things that you are like, oh, I'm not going to go put that in user voice because these guys aren't listening. And I will say, like, I've just closed a bunch that were five years old that had. Ouch. Uh, we are. Con- it, it is in review right now. <laughs> so, uh, which was poor old Doreen, uh, Doreen Brown that used to be in the engineering team underneath Rob Howard and Hina uh, back in the day, who, who's now moved on to other roles. But um, yeah, it's just interesting that, you know, the old team I used to work with, the names are still popping up as, you know, when the last person tried to make a great run at this. But And so this time around, it's like, no, we're actually going to move the responsibility to the PM leads and let them run it. And then we'll do a, uh, a quarterly review of, you know, how each workload is tracking, how many have they actually shipped and how many they're still kind of sitting on, which is good. So uh, we should probably find uh, John White to do a show and then convince him to put up a little uh, dashboard of user voice items that are tracked. So when oh, you show yeah, up, that's right. Weekend. And for those who don't know, John White uh, works at Unlimited Viz and they do a lot of Twitter analytics stuff for all the big conferences. So time to give the developers some love. Yeah, I uh, I've, I often have to ping him asking about Power BI stuff with the dashboards <laughs> I have to build on those things. So oh, yeah. It's, um, it's almost as not... I think in some ways it's easier than building a pivot chart in Excel, but there are still some things where I'm like, this should be easier than it is in yeah. Power BI. And, it is easy. You and just you speak to someone like John, and he's like, yeah, that's just this. And you're like, right, okay. That's that's how I Three do all my fancy stuff. Later. I just call John or, or Jason. <laughs> John and Jason host the Bifocal uh, podcast, which is great stuff for business intelligence. So, yeah, that's great stuff. Anyways, sorry to get off on a tangent there. but um, Yeah, no, so I figured I'd, I'd share that story just in terms of like how the sausage is made internally on the feature request board and uh, try and assure you with confidence that um, we, we are aware that we've been really bad at this and that we're getting back on track and that please um, – put some more faith into it. We will be moving to our own user voice, so microsoftgraph.uservoice.com. But for now, if you go to graph.microsoft.com and click support in the top navigation, it'll jump to the office user voice. In, and we have our own category there, but we're going to have our own one to get to a, a much more usable way of you guys making requests on features in the graph. Uh, the making the request is the easy part. It's finding them after the fact that gets difficult. So yeah, it's so, very true. But yeah, so um, yeah, I was going to start celebrating those things as we kind of close them off uh, in the show as well, just so that people can see um, some of that aspect. And then a question I got the other day was like, how do we see what's coming through? And um, we heard loud and clear last year that our change log was absolutely useless, and so now every engineering team cannot commit code into our beta or v1 graph service without having a retrospective line item in the change log so absolutely every change to the graph whether it's adding a a property to a resource object or uh, adding a whole new operation to a particular workload all those things have individual line items um, inside of that change log which you can see in the documentation excellent excellent yeah all right, buddy. Well, thanks. This is great. And uh, look forward to talking again next week. Uh, in, enjoy the snow. I expect to see a tweet from you with a snowman with a Chicago Blackhawks hockey jersey on. Uh, that would require me going outside in the cold. So, <laughs> <laughs> But I do have a picture. My wife posted a picture of my, uh, my patio all snow covered. So I'll find that for you. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, well, have a good week. Stay, uh, stay safe and stay warm. Will do. You too. Right. Cheers, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 